You are listening to audio from Calvary Chapel, Monrovia. For more information, please visit www.ccmonrovia.org. Please open your Bibles with me to 2 Chronicles chapter 10. 2 Chronicles chapter 10, continuing our study through 2 Chronicles. Tonight we'll be looking at the whole chapter, chapter 10, but I'm just going to jump right in tonight, and I'm going to read a couple of verses out of the prior chapter just to kind of set the stage and review where we are in Israel's history working through Second Chronicles. Uh, so I'm going to start in Second Chronicles 9, read verse 30 and 31, and then start into chapter 10. Solomon reigned in Jerusalem over all Israel 40 years. Then Solomon rested with his fathers and was buried in the city of David, his father, and Rehoboam, his son, reigned in his place. Chapter 10, verse 1. And Rehoboam went to Shechem, for all Israel had gone to Shechem to make him king. And so it happened when Jeroboam, this is Jeroboam, right? So Rehoboam is Solomon's son. He's gone. But now Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, heard it. He was in Egypt where he had fled from the presence of King Solomon that Jeroboam returned from Egypt. So here's the setting. Solomon is passed. His son Rehoboam is now getting ready to take the throne. It's being passed. The dynasty is continuing. Jeroboam, who is introduced here to us, he hears that Solomon has passed away. He's been hiding out in Egypt because he fled from Solomon. Now that Solomon has has passed, he comes up and becomes part of the new uh, kind of passing the torch to Solomon's son. And they all gather in a city called Shechem. Shechem was a place that was in northern Israel. Uh, the, the capital was in Jerusalem, which is considered in Judah, more southern Israel. But Shechem was the northern portion. So they went there to kind of unite the nation because the tribes in the north wanted to have kind of a, a midway place to kind of coronate the new king. And this Jeroboam has come up from Egypt. Now, the backdrop on Jeroboam, just quickly, and then we'll look at the rest of the chapter. Jeroboam had had a prophet prophesy over him. Because when King Solomon began to turn his heart away from the Lord, right? We saw that at the end of his dynasty. His heart began to be distracted. He had all the wives and their false pagan worship that he allowed to kind of commingle into the pure worship of God. And so the Lord began to judge Solomon toward the end of his reign. Even though he had a great, glorious reign for 40 years, towards the end, the Lord began to discipline him. And one of the things that the Lord said was, you know what, because Solomon has turned away from the Lord, I'm going to take a portion of the kingdom away from him. Ten of the 12 tribes I'm going to remove, and I'm going to give them to another. And this prophecy was made over Jeroboam. Jeroboam, I'm going to bless you. Solomon's heart is turned away. So I'm going, to take, I'm going to leave him with some of the kingdom, Judah. He's from the tribe of Judah. I'm going to give him Benjamin. He'll have at least one other tribe with him. And I'm only doing that to honor his father David because I promised David that he, his lineage would live on. But I'm going to take the ten tribes away from him, and I'm going to give them to you, Jeroboam. And if you'll honor and follow me as David did, I will give you a, make you a great king over this northern portion of the kingdom. This is a prophet that prophesied all of this. Well, when Solomon heard 
that this Jeroboam had been prophesied over that God was going to take the kingdom from him and give, to give ten of the tribes to Jeroboam, what do you think he tried to do? He tried to kill Jeroboam and, you know, stop this, this new kind of threat to the, to, the, to the throne before it got started. So he fled from Egypt. So now Solomon is dead. And the kingdom is getting ready to pass to his son, Rehoboam. Jeroboam is now back in town to see what's going to happen. And we pick it up there now in verse 3. Then they sent for him and called him. And Jeroboam and all Israel came and spoke to Rehoboam, saying, verse 4, Your father made our yoke heavy. Now therefore lighten the burdensome service of your father, and his heavy yoke which he put on us, and we will serve you. And so he said to them, Come back to me after three days, and the people departed. Then King Rehoboam consulted the elders who stood before his father Solomon while he still lived, saying, How do you advise me to answer these people? And they spoke to him, saying, If you are kind to these people, and please them, and speak good words to them, they will be your servants forever." But he rejected the advice which the elders had given him and consulted the young men who had grown up with him, who stood before him. And he said to them, What advice do you give? How should we answer this people who have spoken to me, saying, Lighten the yoke which your father put on us? Then the young men who had grown up with him spoke to him, saying, Thus you should speak to the people who have spoken to you, saying, Your father made our yoke heavy but you make it lighter on us. Thus you shall shall say to them, My little finger shall be thicker than my father's waist. And now, whereas my father put a heavy yoke on you, I will add to your yoke. My father chastised, chastised you with whips, but I will chastise you with scourges. A nice response from the young man. Verse 12, So Jeroboam... And all the people came to Rehoboam on the third day, as the king had directed, saying, Come back to me the third day. And then the king answered them roughly. King Rehoboam rejected the advice of the elders, and he spoke to them according to the advice of the young men, saying, My father made your yoke heavy, but I will add to it. My father chastised you with whips, but I will chastise you with scourges. So the king did not listen to the people. For the turn of events was from God, interesting, that the Lord might fulfill his word, which he had spoken by the hand of Ahijah, the Shilonite, to Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. That's that prophecy that I mentioned earlier. Verse 16, now when all Israel saw that the king did not listen to them, the people answered the king, saying, what share have we in David? We have no inheritance in the son of Jesse because Rehoboam was of the lineage of David. So they're rejecting this dynasty. Every man to your tents, O Israel. Now see to your own house, O David. So all Israel departed to their tents. They rejected. Okay, you don't want to listen to us. Every man to his tents. That's another way of saying, you know what? We'll have nothing to do with you. We're done serving you as our king. Verse 17. But Rehoboam reigned over the children of Israel who dwelt in the cities of Judah. Now, that's the southern portion. That's where Jerusalem was. He still had his little, his little smaller kingdom. Verse 18. Then King Rehoboam sent Hadoram, who was in charge of revenue. But the children of Israel stoned him with stones, and he died. Therefore, King Rehoboam mounted his chariot in haste 
to flee to Jerusalem. So Israel has been in rebellion against the house of David to this day. All right, you get the, the, the setting of what has happened here. The new young king has come to the throne, and the people have come and try, come to coronate him and to anoint him. But they've also got Jeroboam, who is a leader among them. He's able to be back safely in the land now. And they say, look, if you'll go, if you'll lighten the load. Remember, Solomon had a wealthy, you know, palace and kingdom. And we, we read some of the wealth. Where, where do you think all that wealth came from? It was all the tax revenue of the people that had sown into his dynasty. And so the people were getting a little tired of the heavy tax load to support Solomon's great, you know, achievements. If you'll lighten up on us, if you'll ease the load, we can still serve under you as our king. We'll still be united as a nation, but we want you to be a little more reasonable. Okay, you know the story. So he, he says, well, come back in a few days and, and I'll, I'll see. He consults the elders. They say, go light on these guys and you'll keep the kingdom together. They'll serve you forever. Well, hmm, let me check my young buck friends that I've grown up with and let's just see what the boys say. And the boys say, all his little homies say, what are you... What are you kidding? You don't lighten up on them. You tell them that thing. We're just getting started on the on the way we're going to deal with you, right? So here they go, and they say, "Well, fine, have it your way. We will not be a part of it." But you know, Rehoboam, he's pretty emboldened by his young friends and this advice he's gotten. He still sends his tax man to come in and say, "Okay, well, I'm still going to collect my taxes from you." Oh yeah. They stone him, and he flees. Uh, he, they kill the tax man. Now, don't get any ideas, you know. <laughs> but they, they, they wipe. The, the revenue man is stoned to death. And then Rehoboam, he has to flee back to Jerusalem, back to where he's safe within the city walls. And this becomes the divided kingdom. This is now kind of a, a civil war that takes place all at the event. It, not, it didn't really go into war at that time, but th- this began the division. This began the divided kingdom. And from this point forward, there's going to be a king in Jerusalem, the south, Judah, which is where Solomon set up his palace. That was originally the capital for all of Israel. But now it's just going to be over Judah, Benjamin, two tribes, and the 10 other tribes who were in the northern portion of Israel they're going to raise up their own king and begin their own nation. So the nation will be divided. And you know the rest of the history now is the kings of the north, the kings of the south. And they have various skirmishes along the way. They have various times of peace along the way. But the rest of the history is a divided nation. So that's what takes place here. And all of this had been prophesied by Ahijah, the prophet, and that's why that little, that little section there, verse 15, all of this was the doing of the Lord. Now, men are doing what they want to do, but, all, but God is the one kind of using their decisions to orchestrate his will. He's still overseeing and in control. Some of it is a judgment against Solomon's dynasty, and some of it is in the intention to bless and establish a new man, Jeroboam, in the north. Now, we'll see that Jeroboam in the future chapters, we won't look at it tonight, Jeroboam doesn't do well. The Lord gives him this great opportunity, 
but he immediately kind of squanders it, and he also falls under ultimately God's discipline and judgment as well. But we won't get into that tonight. What I want to do now with the rest of our time is just consider some application for us out of this occasion that we've just read. A decision is being made. A decision is being made uh, based on the counsel that is being received from a variety of sources. This young man, Rehoboam, has come to the throne. He has an opportunity to lead the nation. He has an opportunity to fulfill the promises of his grandfather, David, and Solomon. This is a real opportunity for him, but he he makes a decision that would affect his life, his kingdom, the nation, for the, the, the remaining history of the nation until God would ultimately have to judge both north and south. And I just want to point out how important some decisions are and how important it is for us to consider wise counsel as we make decisions. You know, our lives are the, often the result of decisions that we make. Some decisions are trivial and not that significant. Some decisions are life-changing, and we make choices in our walk with the Lord and our walk through life, and those choices, those decisions have great consequence and often great impact not only on our life but our family, on the lives of others. And, you know, just as a pastor who meets and prays and counsels with people So many things that we're dealing with are the result of decisions that have been made in the past, and now we're trying to figure out how to resolve, how to put back together the, you know, the brokenness that has come as a result of decisions that were made, decisions that could have been made differently, decisions that should have been made differently, decisions that should have been made in the Lord decisions that should have been made under better counsel. But you made these choices, and now here we are trying to figure out how to get back on track with the Lord. So it's important, and I want to draw out the importance in our hearts tonight. Your decisions matter. The decisions you make as you navigate your Christian walk in life, they're important. As I said, some are not trivial, you know, what we're having for dinner tomorrow, not that big a deal. But you know what? Uh, job decisions, relationship decisions, career choices, de- decisions about how we're going to conduct ourselves morally, how we're going to de- conduct ourselves spiritually. These are important decisions that affect our lives. Some dangers here that, I, that are pretty obvious and we can kind of see what's going on with Rehoboam. And this just translates right into our lives today. These are the very things that we see taking place often in Christian lives today. And I've been guilty of these things myself. Let's just consider a couple of them, some dangers. This this Rehoboam, obviously, he was a man who only wanted to hear what he wanted to hear, right? The elders gave him counsel, good counsel, but that's not what he wanted to hear. So he rejected the counsel. Why ask if you already know what you want to hear? Why ask for counsel that you don't really want to hear? Maybe he hoped that they would tell him what he wanted to hear, but when they didn't, he went to his 
young men, and they told him what? Exactly what he wanted to hear. And this is the danger that often comes into our hearts and lives. We're all about wanting to get counsel so long as the counsel tells us what we want to hear. But the minute you give counsel that I don't want to hear, wow, what, what a fool you are. Why did I ask you? You don't know what you're talking about. Let me find somebody who knows what they're talking about. Tell me what I want to hear. Oh, finally, a man, a woman of wisdom telling me what I want to hear. The Bible calls that what? Itching ears. Itching ears. I have an itch, and I want somebody to scratch it. I have what I want to hear, and, and that's what I'm looking for someone to affirm what I already have decided in my heart I want to do. Now, that's not a heart submitted to counsel. That's not a heart looking to hear from the Lord. That's a heart looking just to do what it wants and looking for somebody to just give permission, right? We've all been guilty of that. We trick ourselves. We think, oh, no, no, I'm really interested in counsel. I had so many, I've had so many people, Pastor, I just need to know. What do you, this is what I think. Oh, really? Oh, well, okay, thanks, you know. And, I mean, some people, it's like they can't even be in the church anymore, like if you think like that. I mean, it's, it gets pretty intense. They think they want to hear until they hear. Some people try to manipulate the counsel. You ever have one of those? Somebody tries to at once, they want to get your advice. Let me tell you a situation, and, and tell me what you would do. And then they tell you the situation. And the situation is completely biased on the way, you know. And, and, of course, you would say, well, I would do this. That's what I thought. I'm going to do that, too. But then you come to find out the situation they described, that's not even closely resembling the situation in truth. And, yeah, but you, the pastor told me to do this. I never would have told you to do that. I never would have agreed with that. I've, man, I've had people come and they give this whole scenario. They tell me this and this and this and this. This is what I'm thinking I should do. What do you think? Well, it, you know, based on what you're telling me, that sounds like the right decision. And then they're off they go. Pastor told me to do this only to find out that, no, not your, what you relayed to me wasn't even half the story. I'm giving you my experiences. You've all had this, right? You, where somebody tries to manipulate the counsel. And listen, if you want to find good counsel and you want to make good decisions and you really want to invite the Lord's wisdom into your decision-making, this, this is all wrong. These are the dangers. We are so determined to have our will but we're, we're, we don't want to really say that, you know, we're just going to do what we want. So we try to find people to tell us what we want. We try to manipulate somebody's counsel to the side that we want to hear. And, and people will do all kinds. They'll try to build a biblical case. They'll try to make it spiritual. Well, it's all because I want to honor the Lord and this and that. No, you know what? You just want to do what you want to do. And you're going to go do it anyway. So you don't need counsel. You don't even need to pray because you've already made up your mind. It's, you know, whether it's right or wrong, who knows? This is your decision. And people often, this is what's happening in Rehoboam, right? We're seeing it play out in this young man's life. People only wanting to hear what they want. He turns to his peers he wants the reinforcement of his peer group, and that really means, you know, affirming and approval to him, and this is he launches off. So a danger. A danger is only, hear, only wanting to hear what you want to hear. That's not a sincere seeking of, of wisdom or counsel. 
Sometimes it's just immaturity, right? And, and this, this he, uh, Rehoboam seems to be just struggling from an immaturity, maybe because of his age. Do you remember how smart you were as a teenager and how stupid your parents were, how dumb they were? They knew nothing and you knew everything. So some of it is just that, right? And, and then as you get older, you realize your parents got smarter somehow over those years, right? And so some of it is just immaturity, and that's just to be part, that's part of growing and maturing. And some of it, as, these are just dangers of how we make bad decisions without, you know, really getting good counsel. Um, Rehoboam was obviously blinded by his own selfish ambition. He, he, and this is the trouble with selfish ambition. This is the trouble with a heart that's not um, honest and sincere. You deceive yourself. You, you, I mean, Rehoboam, after all of this, he and the tax man go to collect taxes after they just said, we, don't, we won't serve you. You know, he's so blinded. He thinks that somehow this will work out for him. He thinks that he'll be able to respond this way and everything will flow. And he only to find out they kill the tax man and they send him running home. Blinded by selfishness, blinded by lust, by, blinded by pride. Listen, when, you're, when these are the motivations of your heart, you're not going to make good decisions. You have to be willing to evaluate your own heart. If you're in sin or, in, or you're in living in some kind of compromise or disobedience, this often deceives and blinds decision-making. People are living in compromise, and then they want to make a decision over here and hope that somehow they'll have God's wisdom. If you're not willing to obey God here, then what makes you think you're even going to know what God wants over here? There is a deception that comes when we're living in sin and compromise. I'm just kind of identifying the things that were going on with Rehoboam. How could this young man make such a foolish move? Well, these are the reasons. These are the things that were going on in his heart. And it's not just a story about Rehoboam. It's a story of so many of our lives. And all of us at times have made these kinds of decisions. Bad decisions are made often in, in very important things. Bad decisions are made, and even by Christians, bad decisions are made about relationships. How many times I've seen and, and people make decisions that were not wise because they thought they were in love. And that just muddies their decision process because the emotions of a relationship. Sometimes it's that sense of being in love. Sometimes it's the sense of being mad and angry and bitter and a relationship that's soured. And now that affects your decision-making process, your judgment. Relationships often can cloud judgment, whether it's affection, whether it's disagreement. Another thing that sometimes muddies decision-making is money. People make crazy decisions. What were you thinking? Well, it seemed like a good idea. No, it didn't. You thought something was motivating you here. There was some kind of a money angle, some kind of a financial, you know, uh, grab that you were interested in, and people will justify all kinds of crazy decisions if they think it's financially advantageous to them or they, they have some hope or opportunity that they believe. Now, 
It's good to make good financial decisions where you do have good opportunity, but I'm talking about decisions that are made that are, that are not well thought out, not even, you know, right, maybe morally, but financially we find a way to rationalize what we want to do. Money can cloud uh, the issue. Sometimes it's family related. And these are just examples. I'm just throwing out a few. You, you can fill in your own blanks here. What, what has made you, you know, kind of blinded you on decisions. Sometimes it's uh, family relationships. I've seen people that make uh, bad spiritual decisions because of some type of family loyalty that's clouding their spiritual discernment. They're so, you know, it's all oh, the family, the family, the family, that they'll even violate certain spiritual Christian biblical principles because they did it for the family. And this goes, you know, again, both good and bad. Sometimes there's family jealousies that make produce all kinds of crazy actions, but because of the family dynamic, they're making really poor choices, right? Um, sometimes, you know, as, as parents raising children, the whole dynamic, you know, we make bad decisions with our kids because, well, they're our kids, you know. We'd give, we would never give that counsel to another parent. What? Your ch- child's doing what? Here's what you need to do. Oh, this is my child. Oh, no, 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 no. That's not what we do. In my, we have a different set of, we have a, I have a different way of dealing with my own. You, you get the idea. These, these vulnerabilities that cause us the dangers of making bad decisions, emotions, uh, sometimes it's uh, compromise, sometimes it's you've already made up your mind what you want, you're pursuing it. What is our protection, church? What are the things that, that we need to guard our hearts with so that we can make good decisions? What, what, could Ray, what was going on in Rehoboam's heart? Well, the first thing, and kind of the obvious thing, is humility. Rehoboam was proud, he was young, he was ambitious, he was stepping into the kingdom and thought, I'm going to leverage this thing even to a greater personal advantage. And he wasn't humble, he, didn't, he had no empathy for the people and the burden that they had been enduring under his father's reign, and he thought he was just going to make it even more favorable for himself. Humility is the ability to recognize your weakness and limitations, a humble heart is a heart that will receive counsel. A proud heart, it's hard for a proud heart to receive counsel because they're proud. A humble heart recognizes, look, I, I don't know what to do. I don't have all the answers. See, a humble king would have stepped in and said to the elders, when, I, when, when, they, when he said what, you know, when he heard what he said is in his humility, he would have thought, you know what? I don't have all the answers. That's not what, that, I'm prone more to my young guys and what they're saying, but you know what? We don't have all the answers. Maybe these elders have some wisdom, a humility that is able to be counseled, teachable. Basically, you have to have a heart that's humble enough to be teachable. This is how God can speak. This is how God can lead you. Because you recognize, I need his help. I don't have all the answers. Another thing that I want to uh, want you to consider in terms of a of a protection, there needs to be a humility. There also needs to be a faith, a faith in God to lead and direct your life. A lot of bad decisions that Christians make 
are because they don't think God is going to lead them in the, way, in the right way. They, they don't have complete faith in the Lord and his counsel. They think that, well, that just doesn't sound right. I want to do what I want to do. I'm going to do what I want, and hopefully God will make it work out. And I'll bring God along in my decision, and hopefully he'll bless it. Instead of saying, Lord, I have my own way that I would choose to go here, but I believe that you know best, and I believe that you are ultimately interested in my best. And that my faith, it says in Hebrews that those who come to God must first believe that he is, and that he is what? The rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Do you trust God or not? Do you believe God's word to be true or not? That's faith. I believe God. I believe his word. I believe his promise. I believe in his wisdom. If God's word gives me this instruction, that's wisdom. Yeah, but I really want to do this. Yeah, but my faith in God, I know that ultimately God's way will be better. Even though it might be harder in the moment, it will be ultimately the best. Sincerely seeking his will, trusting that God's will and wisdom is best and willing to submit to it. What has God given to us? So we talked about some dangers. We've talked about, you know, how to protect your heart, staying humble, keeping your faith in God. And what has God given us by way of provision? Does God have any counsel for us? Can God help us make decisions? Does God want us to make good decisions, wise decisions? If he does, how is it that so many Christians are ending up making really bad decisions? And I'm not trying to shame anybody here. It's just the truth. I've made some really bad decisions. Well, what has God given to me to help me, counsel me through decision-making processes? Well, I mean, the most obvious one would be what? the Word of God, the Scriptures, right? Let's look at a Scripture together. I hope, I hope we have it. Second Timothy chapter 3. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God, and it is profitable for doctrine, that means for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work, the man of God or the woman of God. How can I be thoroughly equipped? How can I, how, what's profitable for teaching, for correcting, for instruction? What can I use? Has God given me anything as a guide to help navigate my life and make good decisions? He's given us his word. He's given us his scripture. There's truth there. Look, even tonight, we're looking at, a, we're looking at a, a, just a history chapter, Right? But there's, there's something here for us, isn't there? I mean, we see Rehoboam acting foolishly, and we can see it, and we say, you know what? <laughs> I can learn something from this guy. There's wisdom here for me. God has included this in the story of his, of his word to speak to my heart, to give me some discernment. I want to I glean truth from this. Okay, what did he do wrong? Well, he was haughty. He was, he was you know, stubborn-minded. He already had his mind made up, the things we just talked about. That's going to, if I act like that, I'm going to end up making bad decisions. This is just an example, but you get the idea. God's word is rich with truth and wisdom and insight. Now, you have to mine it out. 
you have to think about it. You've got to read, you read a chapter like we read tonight, and then you've got to ponder it a little bit. What, what are the lessons here, Lord? Do I act like that? Lord, do I only want to hear what I want to hear? Do I look for people to tell me what I already want to, want to hear, kind of tickle my ear, scratch the itching ear that I have? Do I behave like that? Is there anything in my heart that's stubborn like that? I've already made my mind up, but I'm going to pretend like I'm really seeking counsel. Do I, have, do, I do that? That's a question you need to ask. These are the ways we mine out the instruction that God has for us in the Scripture, that we might be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So I would simply say this, as you read your Bibles, okay, read your Bibles, and as you read your Bibles, look for wisdom. Look for these little principles, little nuggets, and this is how it happens, a little here, a little there, line upon line, precept upon precept, a little scripture here, a little scripture there, and you keep that kind of wisdom channel flowing And you know what? Over the weeks and months and years, what happens? Your mind gets renewed. You start to think biblically. God's mind gets infused into your... And all of a sudden, you, you know the right decision. You don't even have to pray and wait on God. You've already got God's Word giving you light. The, the, the Proverbs say, Your Word is a lamp unto my feet, a light for my path. God's Word, as you put this in, a little here, a little there, God begins to build wisdom into your heart. But you've got you to, as you read, you're not just reading. I've just got to get my Bible reading out of the way. I'm, I'm looking for, for truth, principles for living. And you can find it everywhere in the Scripture. It just, I'll tell you, just spend a little time with, in the Gospels. Just read the red letters, and you will, and, and it's just like, wow, Jesus, the wisdom you know, just what he's saying. Just, just get that in your head. These are right. I want you to read the whole Bible. We're, we're studying the whole Bible. I'm, just, I'm a believer that so much of God's Word will, will guard your life, your decision, your steps, and, and protect you. Okay. Obviously, prayer. Prayer. Ask the Lord for wisdom. Don't just launch off. Pray. Seek the Lord. It says in a number of places as we read through the scriptures that, that, that they inquired of the Lord. Even Jesus, the night before he went and selected his 12 disciples, he went, what, all night in prayer, communing with the Father, praying, asking God for wisdom. A couple verses here for you. The Lord teaches us to pray in the Lord, what we call the Lord's Prayer, Matthew six thirteen. This is one of the. This is kind of part of the of the Lord's prayer, right? And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. What's that all about? Lord, protect my way. Lord, guide my steps. Lord, I don't want to end up in trouble. This is part of the Lord's prayer. This is part of the daily prayer that Jesus taught his disciples. We call it the Lord's prayer. It's Jesus teaching the disciples how to pray. It should be the disciples' prayer. It should be you and me, our prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. We make our requests. We confess our sins. But we also, and sometimes we forget this little tagline, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Lord, keep me on course. Lord, don't let me deviate and get into trouble today. Lord, I I don't want to make bad choices. 
I don't want to find myself, you know, veering into temptation. Protect me from that which the devil would have planned, has planned for me. James 1.5, probably the most straightforward uh, instruction on getting wisdom. If any of you lacks wisdom, do what? Let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. God's not trying to hide wisdom from you. God's not like, oh, man, I can't wait till he makes this bad choice. I'm not going to tell him. I'm not going to tell him. You don't tell him. Nobody tell him. God's not. God, talk to me before you step into that, that dumb move. <laughs> don't do that. You know, seek, ask. Jesus would say, knock, check in with heaven, ask the Lord before you make big decisions. And let me say this, ask the Lord before you make the, before you've already made the decision. Sometimes we ask the Lord, but we've already made the decision and we're just at, you know, we're not really asking because if the Lord said, no, you, I'm sorry, I asked because I want to do this. You know, Lord, this is why, and this is what, and I'm just asking, is it, okay, it's good. You know, but you're not really listening. You know what I'm saying? You've got to be sincere. You're asking the Lord, seeking his will. And another part of prayer is, is waiting. Some decisions are just made too quickly. Some decisions are made without enough information. Some decisions are made... Uh, in the moment, and we live to regret them because we're in a hurry. So I've learned over the years, if, if I'm feeling anxious, like i got to make a decision, i got to pull the trigger on this, that's almost like a surefire red flag. Don't make a decision. Slow down. If it's got to be made right now, then the answer is no. I can't commit to it. No, no, you got to. We got to. It's your chance. This is it. Okay, those are the ones I don't want. I'm willing to, to miss. You know, you get the idea. Let the Lord give a peace. Let the Lord, wait on the Lord. That's what, that's what prayer does. It slows you down. You begin to, rec- to pray on it. You begin to seek the Lord on it. You begin to meditate on it. You begin to allow the Lord. You listen to the Lord. You're hoping the Holy Spirit will kind of give you a sense of peace. Maybe a scripture verse will come to mind and affirm, and, or you'll get some sense of confirmation as you're waiting and, and looking and praying. God does things in over time, and often he wants us waiting on him, and he will show you in his time. So part of prayer is, is waiting. Something else that the Lord has given to us. He's given us his word. He's given us prayer. He's given us his Holy Spirit. And when we think about the Holy Spirit, we're reminded of what Jesus said, that the Holy Spirit would teach you, the Holy Spirit will guide you, the Holy Spirit will um, call things to remembrance for you. The Holy Spirit is, Jesus referred to him as the helper. God is on board in your life. The the Bible teaches that a a believer, someone who's come to faith in Christ and and believed in Jesus, had his sins forgiven, that he becomes born again of the Spirit. God's Spirit actually takes up residence in the believer's life. And he is desiring to lead you. Now, we can quench him. We can quiet him. We can grieve him. We can just kind of put him aside 
because he, the Holy Spirit doesn't come in and take over your will, but the Holy Spirit wants to gently guide your will. He wants to lead you and teach you. And, 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 and Jesus said that he will always glorify me. In other words, the Holy Spirit is always looking to glorify Christ in our lives. Romans 8 talks about the Holy Spirit leading us. And I want to look at the Holy Spirit's fruit that's mentioned in Galatians chapter 5 because I want this to be a little bit of insight on decision-making. This is what the Holy Spirit comes to produce in your life. The fruit of the Spirit. Notice the Spirit, capital Spirit. This is the Holy Spirit. This is the fruit that He brings. Is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. You know, if you just kept this verse handy, and every time you had to make a decision, you, and you just kind of, Holy Spirit, how, how should I respond here? What would be the right decision here? Well, I don't know. Is it loving? Is it, is it going to bring joy, peace? Is it made in patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control? You see, I believe the Holy Spirit ultimately is going to lead you with a sense of these peaceful, settled feelings. You're not going to be making it in fear, in anxiety, in the moment, or in pride, or ambition, or some selfish. No, it's going to be made in the Spirit. You want to be led by the Spirit? These are the attributes that the Holy Spirit is looking to produce. This is the way God is going to lead you, through and by the Spirit. Finally, I would say, well, no, actually, i got two more things. One more. Uh, again, how does God help us make good decisions? Godly counsel. God gave Rehoboam good godly counsel. He just didn't listen to it. He wanted to go get his, his, his good old boy, his little young guy, his peer group counsel. And so many people make decisions this way. You listen to the, you listen to the fools. And, and yeah, that's a good idea. You've got to be care- godly counsel. You've got to be looking for those that, you know, are living for the Lord. Those that are going to give you honest counsel, not just tell you what you want to hear. You need some friends that will tell you what you don't want to hear if that's, what you, if that's what you need to hear. Not what you want, what you need. And you need those that know the Lord and those that know the Word and those that are led by the Spirit. Those are the men and women that I want speaking to my life. I don't want some, somebody that's just as confused as I am speaking more foolishness and two fools together. That's just double foolish, right? There's no help there. Godly counsel. What about, so who are godly counsel? Well, pastors are supposed to be godly, uh, give godly counsel. But let me say, the, the main role of a pastor is to teach God's Word. And that's, that's, that's the godly counsel that I have to impart is teaching the Bible. You don't, you know, people think, well, I need to talk to, to the pastor about it. And, and there are some cases where it's good to get pastoral counsel, get a talk to a pastor personally. We're, we're always available for that. But the main role of the pastor is to sow God's Word into your heart. You see, God's Word is where the counsel is. God's word is where the truth is. And so if that's what it says in Ephesians 4, that the work of the pastors is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. 
You equip the saints to make their own good decisions by teaching God's word. Otherwise, we'd be in counsel se- counseling sessions, right? Everybody's got to talk to a pastor before they make any important decision. My goodness, we would never get out of the office, right? No, we're teaching God's word. Now, again, occasion, you, it's good to get a, a pastoral counsel and a, and a voice, but oftentimes a pastor's role is really just teaching God's word. Faithful believers, friends, fellowship, tr- uh, mem- members of the body of Christ. Hey, here's one, husbands and wives, Husbands and wives is often a good source of godly counsel. I have discovered the hard way that a lot, there's a lot of wisdom that God has for me right in the counsel of my wife. I don't like to admit it, and here I am publicly. But, you know, I mean, there's, there's counsel there for me. And, and, and it works both ways. Wives, listen, God has counsel for you in the heart of your husband. Now, we're talking about a godly couple. They love the Lord. They're praying together. They're both wanting to, to work God. There's, there's protection there. There's wisdom there that God has for you. Oftentimes, just talking it over, husband and wife. I don't need my wife's advice. I'm the man of the house. I know what I'm doing. Fool. <laughs> That is so, you know, not good. She's your helpmate. Wives, wives are laughing. Well, well, let's not tell him that. Let's not tell dad about this. Oh, that's not good, ladies. Right? It works both ways. There's wisdom. Parents are a source of godly wisdom for young people, for children. I found this even as an adult. I, I, still, I still can glean wisdom from, from parents' counsel. God has given you what you need to find and discover his will for your life. It's, he's not trying to keep it in a cloud of mystery. God wants to speak to you, but God, God's counsel for you is God's counsel. It's God's counsel. And he won't alter it to make it what you want it to be. And that's the trouble. That's, the re- that's the, the, where we wrestle. We want to wrestle God's counsel into being what we want it to be. But we have to learn to submit and trust God's counsel and allow him to speak to us through these various things. The last thing I want to talk to you tonight is about God's grace. Because here's just the reality. We make bad decisions. Even as Christians, even trying to live for the Lord, from time to time, we make bad decisions. Now what? Is it too late? Have I blown it forever? Can my life ever recover? Is there any hope for me? And that's why I want to talk about God's grace. And this is the beauty of God's grace. God knows that we're frail. The psalmist said, Lord, remember that I am but flesh. Remember, Lord, I'm frail. Remember, Lord, I, even when I'm trying to do my best, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to misstep sometimes. It's just our nature. Romans 8.28, you know this verse. It's a good one to memorize. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. Notice what it doesn't say. We know that all things work together for good to those who always make right decisions. No, to those who love God, all things 
to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. This is the grace of God. God is able to take even missteps and work them out for good. Now, this is not, don't trick yourself into thinking, well, then I can just do it and God will work it out. No, it's got to be, you know, there's just sometimes you, you make sincere missteps. And I can tell you that my own life, uh, I've seen God take mistakes and turn them around into somehow working out to be a furtherance of his will in my life. And I don't know how he does it, but he does it. Now, I don't, I don't plan on him doing it but, and be, get careless, but it's just the truth. I mean, I, I think just about our church, you know, and leading the ministry. And I've prayed this. I, I've shared this with my pastors. I said, listen, guys, if, if, our, if the only hope for our church is us never making a mistake, we're doomed. This church has to be built on the grace of God. It has to be built on sincere hearts, trying to follow the Lord to the best of our ability, and God's grace will work it out. God will work things together for good. I want to encourage you tonight. Maybe you're suffering even now under a, the result of a bad decision. And, you know, God can still work that out. God can, if you'll turn to the Lord... God can still work it out and bring blessing. God can still turn, God works all things together for good. God's not limited by our decisions so long as we love him, so long as we are truly called to his purpose. You've got to repent. You know, Rehoboam, it's, it wasn't too late for him. Even at this stage, he could have repented, humbled himself. I don't know how God would have worked it out. God would have done, worked things differently. And, and God will ultimately work with what he has, but God is able to the heart that loves him, to the heart that will turn to him, he's able to bring about good things. And um, that's been the story of my life, my ministry path. My life in ministry has been, a, has been kind of an up and down journey. And, you know, even when I started go, taking steps of faith to get into ministry, I made, you know, a bunch of missteps. I, was, I didn't know what I was doing in some regard. And I tried to get counsel, and it looked like it was right, but then it turned out to be a disaster. And that somehow God, you know, I just kept crying out, God, help me. I, I've really, you know, this is worse now. I'm trying to move toward ministry. Now things are, you know, even financial decisions I made that had to be made to try and move my life toward ministry, some of them turned out to be just horrible. And, and wor I was worse off than before I made the decision. But you know what? God used it. God used it to, to humble my heart. God used it to kind of wring out of me every last kind of business ambition that I had and really get me a little more ready for ministry. God is able to work even our missteps for good if we love him. And if we're truly answering the call of him upon our lives, if your heart is sincere, you can turn to God, even if you've made mistakes, even if you've fallen into sin, and you need to come back to the Lord. The grace of God will work it all for good. God will somehow work those things and bring his good plan to, to, to bear in your life. Maybe you need wisdom tonight. Maybe you need grace for a decision that was wrong 
and you just need the Lord to help navigate through it, God is available to help. He's available here tonight to give you wisdom. He's available here tonight to provide the grace to work all things together for good. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this chapter in Second Chronicles. We see this young man making what is clearly an unwise decision. And Lord, there's lesson there for us because as believers wanting to live for you, we need to be careful with our decisions. And so, Lord, we want, we want to just humble our hearts tonight. I, I want to submit to this and say, Lord, I, I, don't want, I, don't want to be a, I don't want to be like that. I do want to be humble. I, I do want to look to you. And, and I want to be taking advantage of these resources, your word, slowing down, seeking you in prayer, learning to listen and, and to, to discern the leading of the Holy Spirit in my heart those leadings that come from love and joy and peace and self-control, those kinds of virtues, Lord, will lead me by the Spirit. And Lord, I want to listen to godly counsel. I want, it to, to, I want my ear to be open. I want to be teachable. And Lord, for the times that we've stepped incorrectly, Lord, sometimes in rebellion maybe, sometimes just in some... Oh, haste or foolishness, Lord, whatever the case. We just want to look to you and say, God, will you save us? Will you help us? Will you work it out for good? Because we love you and we want to follow after your call upon our lives. And as we close here tonight, I'm going to sing a song of worship. I want to give a, I guess I want to give an invitation to respond tonight to these last two questions that I asked. Now, if you're here tonight and you don't know the Lord Jesus, we'd love to pray with you to receive Christ. But tonight's message was more, I think, about wanting to follow God's will and wisdom. And if you're here tonight and you are facing a decision and you need God's wisdom, and it's, it's just, as I say that, it's clear in your mind, yep, that's me. You don't have to think about it because we all have some decisions we're making, but no you're making maybe an important decision. Maybe it's about a relationship. Maybe it's about a job step. Maybe it's about some spiritual matter. Maybe it's about a life choice. Maybe it's about a certain relationship that needs to be ended. Maybe it's a certain friendship that's just not healthy. Whatever the case may be, you're here tonight and you're facing a decision and you need God's wisdom. And you're really, truly ready to submit to his counsel. I want to pray for you. Let's ask God for wisdom. He promises that he'll give it. If that's your heart here tonight, I'm going to ask you just to raise your hand and we're going to pray. Anybody here tonight, you're needing God's wisdom for a decision you're facing that's significant and important. Amen. Quite a few of us. All right, let me pray. So, Lord... Here we are, wanting to walk according to the calling of your purpose upon our lives. We're here tonight to say that we love you, and we need, Lord, your wisdom. 
And James said, if any lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all men liberally. The next verse says, but let him ask in faith, not doubting. So tonight, Lord, for these hands that have raised, we're asking for wisdom and we're believing that you will give it. So, Lord, speak to us. And, Lord, use whatever resource and means that that you've installed in our lives. Lord, maybe it's a, a good Christian brother or sister that can speak honestly to my heart and, and I'm, I'm willing to, to receive it. Lord, maybe it's some counsel from your word that I just need to mine out and look and discover as I allow you to speak to me. Lord, I'm asking maybe the Holy Spirit to whisper that voice in my heart and then confirm it, Lord, and establish it. May it be in line with the fruit of the Spirit, the wisdom of the Spirit. May it bring peace. Lord, we want to make the right decision, and we're asking you to show us, and we're submitting our heart to obey it, Lord. Oftentimes, it's not a lack of knowing, it's a lack of obeying. So, Lord, we we need to know, but we also need to obey. And I pray that you would minister to these hearts tonight. In Jesus' name. One last prayer request, and this is for those of you that maybe you just need to receive God's grace tonight. You're in a place where you feel is the result of some bad choices and decisions, and you're feeling a sense of helpless and hopeless, maybe condemnation, maybe guilt, maybe shame, whatever that you just really feel like this is on boy I, I did this Lord it's all on me and I'm just stuck I'm, I'm, I'm in this bad place I, I just need help you just need God's grace and I just want to pray for you tonight if you're in a bad place a decision that has brought you to a, a, a troubled spot and I just want to sow faith into your heart listen God's able to, to make all things work together for good And if you're here tonight and you just need an encouragement from his grace and his love in your heart tonight, would you raise your hand? I want to pray for you too. God bless you. Here's well. Number of hands. Okay. Amen. Some of the same hands. Amen. (laughs) You need wisdom for decisions and you need grace for the ones you've already made. I understand. Trust me, I understand. So, Lord, for these hearts that are struggling and Lord maybe feeling a sense of condemnation over some choices Lord you're not a God of condemnation you're not a God that wants us looking back and worrying and replaying things in our mind Paul said forgetting what lies behind I'm pressing forward and so Lord I ask that you would help us just to whatever's been done has been done Lord we can't undo it forgive us We repent, we confess, we acknowledge. And now we're asking for the grace, Lord, as we turn to you because we love you. We're asking you to turn this for good. It doesn't mean that you'll just magically take all circumstance away, but whatever that circumstance is, Lord, in time, work it for good. Work it for good in my life. Let it become a testimony of your grace. Let it become a a, a source of wisdom for me, for others. Let it become something of, Lord, just a a, a course-altering moment for me that puts me on path now with you and gives me a future and a hope with you. Lord, whatever it may be, God, minister your grace and the hope tonight. Let these hearts rise in faith. You love us. 
and you're with us, and you're able to work all things together for good. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Calvary Chapel, Monrovia. We pray you have been blessed by this sermon. For more information, please visit www.ccmonrovia.org.